0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Made For More podcast. Today, I am joined by Trevor Oldham. Trevor is the founder and CEO of Podcasting You, which is a podcasting site that helps people grow their influence and income by guesting on top-rated podcasts through proven podcast guesting methods. Uh, Today, Podcasting You, You has worked with hundreds of clients and secured thousands of interviews. And you might be wondering why I would have someone from a podcasting site on the Made For More website. But what's really interesting about trevor is that he actually started podcasting you at age 23 and was running his team uh from his college dorm room so we have a bit of a chat about that learning how to lead a team when you're young um, and are quite vulnerable so let's jump on in welcome to the made for more podcast I'll be sharing my experiences along with some actionable advice to take your leadership to the next level. Introducing your host, it's me, Ali Nitschke. I'm a leadership and courageous conversations expert and a teller lover, a mother of four young boys, a wife and a dance floor junkie. I'm here to give you the motivation you need to level up, lead yourself, lead your team and your business. Let's go.
1: Good morning and welcome to the Made For More podcast. I'm so excited to have a guest with me today. Welcome, welcome, Trevor. Thank you for joining me on the show.
2: (laughs) Thank you, Ali. Excited to be here.
1: Me too. So before we get too far into it, where I normally like to start is where have you come from and where are you going? So give me a little bit of your background. I know you sent a a little bit of it to me, but tell me more about where you've come from.
2: Most certainly. So it's a, it's a little bit of a long story, but I like to start five years ago, I was working a job and at that job, I was making $7 and three cents an hour. And I realized that $7 and three cents an hour wasn't going to cut it. You know, I, I just wanted, I just wanted more out of life, but I was also a senior in high school. So it wasn't like I could necessarily go out there and, and get a, get a good paying job. So I did what any sort of, you know, young, young person do. I think I was 14 or 15, went to Google searching how can I make more money? And that led me to Amazon. And I ended up buying this book. And within that book, it, it talked about how to make money, but it really went into the differences between the lower, middle, and upper class. And it mentioned the upper class have started a business. And I thought to myself, well, I've gone out there, I've mowed lawns, I've bought and sold baseball cards, you know, went door to door lemonade selling basically anything I could do to make some money for myself, but never knew it was called entrepreneurship. And it was sort of like that light bulb moment. I was like, wow, there's, there's people out there that have businesses that are making money on their own that they're not working for someone else. So it's it's pretty outstanding to me. So I just kept doing my online research that led me to a site called Alibaba and AliExpress. And for those of you who are listening who may not know, on Alibaba you can or, and AliExpress, you can import products directly from China. So to give you an example, I started importing phone cases from Alibaba, 50 phone cases, $80, sold those on eBay for about $10 a piece. But I learned that Early on with Alibaba and Aliexpress, if you buy name brand products from them, they're most likely going to be knockoffs. So basically what that meant is everyone I had sent them to, they, they got sent back. And I still think I have a couple of them in my closet, but they did really, they did make great uh, Christmas gifts that year, but just kept on going. I, uh, <laughs> I found some uh, cool bracelets and watches and I'm from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. So it fit in like with a good nautical theme, built a brand on Instagram for a little while, Brought the bracelets for a dollar, two dollars. Sold them for about eighteen to twenty dollars a piece, and I ran that business from my dorm room. Um, I was a freshman in college, and what I would do is I would reach out to these photographers on Instagram and say, "Hey, can I send you a couple of free bracelets?" The cost to me was about ten dollars, and and return there take professional quality shoots with my bracelets, so it looked like I built a, a, a good brand for my dorm room.
1: Yeah. So you are just... an influencer from way back.
2: <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Before it, uh, before I got that notion as today. And, uh, yeah, I just, I just kept going. I wanted to build a brand to inspire others. And, and I realized in college, there weren't a lot of people starting their own businesses. So I wanted to start a motivational based company to motivate people to start the business. And, and that company really took off. We gained 600,000 social media followers in the first year. We had yeah. a blog, a, a podcast, of course, yeah, a book and, and everything. But the weird thing was, is that even though we had a large following, people just weren't buying from us. It was like people would love motivational content where you could go on there and I'm sure you've seen them on Instagram. There's a motivational quote and people will like, share, comment on it all day long. But when it comes to buying our morning routine course or buying our course on how to start a podcast, it was sort of like crickets. So after about two years, I I just decided to take a step on the sidelines and just use the skills I learned and started freelancing. And when I was freelancing, I came across someone who wanted to get booked on podcasts. Um, I figured, hey, I booked some guests on my own show. How hard can it be to get her booked on shows? And yeah. started working with her. Found more people um, that wanted to get booked on podcasts. And I used a site called Upwork, so it's a freelancing website. Found yeah. a couple more people, and after about six months to a year, I was like, wow, I can I can actually make a business of it. And that's sort of how my company that I now run, podcasting you, got started.
1: Yeah, and I think, um, can we just touch on that briefly? And I'm sure you won't mind me sharing this. One of the reasons that you're here today on my podcast is because of the way that you reach out to me. So I get quite a few emails with um, people from, you know, around the world requesting to be on the Made For More podcast. And yours really stood out because it was so, uh, I guess, tailored to my podcast you've gone in and had a look at it and yet gave me all these topics you've done a screen dump of a comment that or a review that you're leaving and I'm like yes you can absolutely be on my um on my podcast so you've obviously uh, cracked the code on how to get people on there because yeah it was actually really refreshing to receive a podcast guest request that wasn't just a generic um rapid fire that was sent out very, very cool. That's amazing. I didn't know um, the bit around your motivational for building a business while during while you were in college. That's amazing that you managed to build such a huge following of 600,000 people. So when it came to, um, I mean, podcasts, they've kind of exploded this year. But back when was it in 2017 that you started the podcasting business? Yep, correct. So that was probably still, podcasts were not as as well known now as what they are or as hugely, I guess, absorbed as they are now. So what made you (laughs) realize that podcasting was going to be a thing?
2: Honestly, I I didn't really think that it was ever going to be a thing. It was more, I was just going to college and and that I was making some good money. I didn't really have to go out there and work a typical job that most college students have to work. I could I don't want to say I was making a lot, I was making probably about a thousand to two thousand dollars a month, but I was just in my dorm room and and getting people booked on these podcasts. So I kind of just kept going with it. And and I can tell you, just as the industry as a whole, when I used to pitch clients back in 2017, I could probably get like an 80% conversion rate on the amount of pitches I send. And then now if we get uh anywhere between 20 to 30 percent, that's like considered a success. So I could just see like how many more people are now in the industry wanting to go out there and get you know get booked on podcast interviews and sort of the competition that's steep so it was really it just wasn't something I, ex- I expected it was more just I just kept going along and I kind of kind of started this company right at the right moment as the podcasting space was picking up
1: yeah very cool so tell me you know between when you first um started out of your college dorm room, dorm room compared to now you had to build out a team or how did you mm-hmm. what kind of support did you have around you when you were in college
2: So I definitely built out the team. So first year I was running it, I was just did basically all by myself. And when that consists of was that, you know, taking client calls, writing pitches, follow ups, doing, you know, everything that goes into getting booked on a podcast. And then I realized that sort of at the end of my first year, if I wanted to grow the company, I couldn't just do it on my own. So I went out there and I used Upwork and I hired a freelancer from Colorado and, and I'm in Massachusetts. So it was nice. We're both in the US, but finding her on there. I didn't have to pay her as like a W-2 employee. I could pay her as a 1099 contractor. And and she worked about, I want to say 10 to 20 hours per week for me. And then all of a sudden she started taking on the clients that I couldn't handle and she started pitching them. And then now we're looking into like year two. So this would be my senior year of high school. I realized that I didn't necessarily want to pitch clients anymore. I wanted to build a team around it. So I went out and hired two additional employees. Now we're still with them. So So it's myself and our team of three. And so now they do all the pitching. And, and really, I think it was big for me in the first year was learning all the processes and documenting everything. So then now when I'm able to take people on, you know, when I do have, you know, the added capacity, if I need to take on an additional employee, I just basically give them these manuals and, and train them for a month and, and they're ready and they're ready to go. Yeah. And that was a big thing in my business because I didn't want to be pitching people for the rest of my life. But if I could have team members who come along and do it, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it works out.
1: Yeah. So if you want to go uh, fast, go alone. If you want to go far, mm-hmm. go together. So when you were talking about the processes, you're talking about your standard operating procedures and how you develop those around like onboarding or pitching
2: clients. So what? Yep. So what I would do for that is initially I just created a manual, and then I realized that they needed some. So in a manual, it'd just be like a, a, a word doc saying like the, you know it was super long. It was like ten or twenty pages all written out, and then I realized that it might be a little bit better. So I spent a day. And I just recorded videos like this is how we set up a client and Basecamp. This is how we pitch a client. This is how we follow up. This is how we conduct business with the client. And I just recorded all those videos and then I just labeled them like step, you know, watch this video first, watch this video second. And ah. then well, yep. So I'll just do that. And when I onboard someone new, what I a big thing for me is when I used to onboard them, I used to onboard them like super quickly, and then try to have them pitch a client. But I realized if I just take like one month period, and really develop them and make sure that they're comfortable in the role and make sure they know exactly what they're doing. I just going to enable a better client, you know, you know, employee transaction. So I realized that, you know, just waiting a month, developing them, you know, making sure that they're comfortable. I'd have them like write sample pitches, I would have, you know, things like things like that, just to make sure that they're super comfortable and ready to go.
1: Yeah, fantastic. So that was still when you were doing that out of your dorm room. So you'd been quite young. Do you know how old you were? Or do you remember how old you were when you're like, yep, I so, need to start building a team?
2: Yep. So I, so, that, so I started it in December 2017. So I was 20. And then I brought on my first team member when I was 21.
1: Yeah, wow. And how did you go? I mean, because that's quite young to be responsible. I mean, mm-hmm. in the US, you can't even drink till then, right?
2: No, no, that's Friday night
1: Yeah, right. Um, so when you were 21 and you're like, I need to build a team, how did you go from being, you know, dorm room, college kid, business owner, part-time business owner to being like, yes, I'm now going to lead a team. Tell me about that process.
2: So there was a lot of failures along the way. And I think that was the biggest thing is it's just going out there and I would just hire a team member and then see what doesn't work. And I realized that hiring process, I can't go out there post a, a job on Upwork and, and hire a contractor to work for me and expect her to do everything, you know, in a, in a week period and I need to take more time for a vetting process. So that's something I had to learn. I had to learn, you know, unfortunately I had to fire employees rather quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a couple of instances where I would hire people to come on and they would all of a sudden disappear for two weeks and they would come back and say, Oh, I had this going on. I'd be like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. You know, feel free to continue work with us. And then a week later they would disappear for another two weeks. And I'd have a client emailing me being asking what's me, what's going on. So mm-hmm. I had to learn that. So I think it was more just a learning process of just having to put out all these fires over, you know, a two year period and then realizing yeah. also to become a leader that my employees are going to follow what I do. So I always make sure I never tell them to do something unless I've gone out and done it myself. And as you mentioned, like earlier in the interview, you know, the podcast pitch that I had sent you, I, I, that was probably a better part of six months to a year of me going in and tweaking it and seeing what responded from podcast hosts. And then once I sort of figured that out, that's like sort of the same, I don't want to say exact script, but that's what I would give my employees to now go out there when we're pitching our clients. So that developed over a year. And I wouldn't just make my employees do that unless I had done it. So I think it's them seeing me as a leader and understanding that it's worked, you know, I've tested it. I'm not just telling you to do something that I don't think is going to actually work.
1: Yeah, fantastic. And I think that that's an absolute gold nugget in there around um, leadership. Obviously, I work with a lot of a lot of leaders and it's very much around, you know, don't ask your your staff or your employees to do something Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't be willing to do yourself just because, uh, you know, you don't want to doesn't mean that you shouldn't have at least experienced or, you know, worked through that process yourself. So how how many people have you grown your team to now?
2: So right now we're a team of three. So initially, I had the, I had my contractors on as working about 10 to 20 hours per week and I was comfortable. And then for some reason I was like, let me add more employees. So I think we got up to like six and then I realized the, it was a little bit hard to manage and these people weren't doing as good. And then I realized like, I sort of slimmed the team, cut it in half and then gave the people that were good. I just doubled their hours. You know, I made oh, sure that I was okay it- with them. And I learned that that was a big thing for me is I always thought it was cool to like, oh, I have 10 employees or I have six employees. Like that's a mark of a good company. But I realize I'd rather have a team of three employees that are working, you know, 20, 25, 40 hours per week, but doing an excellent job and a team that I can rely on than just sort of having a vanity metric of having more employees.
1: Oh, very good. Uh, self-reflection there on your vanity metrics. So tell me a little bit around, um, I guess, some of your biggest lessons that you've had so far along the way with the people that you're working with at the moment. Like what have you learned from your team?
2: I think one is staying on top of them, you know, things can, things can slip. So that's definitely one of them Two is just being kind to them. Like there's an instance where if, if something I see that doesn't go wrong, I might get really mad on my own. But when I talk to my employees, I always try to be like kind to them and, and be nicer to them. You know? So I think that's a big thing. So that's something I've had to learn is not just sort of, I don't, I haven't yelled at them, but I don't want to like ever have that situation. I'd rather be kinder, and, and gentler when I'm talking to them about an issue because this is actually something that that came up today that I had to address with one, one of our employees. So I think that's another thing. I think it's just being understanding with them and, and we work with the clients a lot, and there's been instances with clients that we've worked with that they've just been terrible and in yeah. a sense where they've you know they've been they've been rude or, or just mean to my employees, and and I always want to make sure I have my employees back, and that's another thing that I've wanted to show for them yeah. is that we took on um, a referral client came in back in April and we decided to work with them. They seemed like a good fit. Talked to them on the phone. Everything was going good. And then when we started to get down to the nitty gritty, you know, it's like, Oh, can you change my pitch? Can you change my one sheet? Can you, can you change this? And, and it, even when we have all of our clients approve of the shows before we pitch them and we, she would approve of them. And then we would get her booked on shows. And then she'd say, actually, I don't want to be on that. Can you email the host canceling my interview? And you could just see like the stress in my employee when I would have a weekly call with them. And all of a sudden I didn't know what to do. So I, I was talking to my coach that I have, I ended up refunding her the full package cost. And, and that hurt a lot because I actually prototyped a website for her that I built, which cost Uh me money, you know, and I ended up losing quite a bit on the deal, but I could just see like the relief in my employee's face. Once I gave that client the money back and I told her, you no longer managing her. We no longer have to worry about her. And Again, I think it's just sticking up for my employees in those sort of situations.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is—that's so good that we need to be able to, um, as leaders, you know, really make sure that we've got our staff back because that is, you know, one of the foundations of building mm-hmm. trust and, and helping with that high performance. And you mentioned that you've got a coach. So how did you go from, you know, what kind of people did you surround yourself with outside of your employees to help you grow your business? Who have you lent on to have a mentor? I mean, you said you had a coach. What else? Who else did you surround yourself with?
2: So really, it was just a couple of things. So listen to podcasts and it was just reading books. And then honestly, it's just having the coach. Those are just like the three, the three biggest things. And then talking to, you know, talking to my clients, I actually rely on my clients a lot, which is which is interesting. So if I have a question, like I'll reach out to a client, how did you grow your business this way? How did you do it that way? And I'll also rely on my clients and I'll ask them like business advice. Sometimes like I work with a client and he teaches people how to rapidly scale their business. So I spoke with him. I don't know, about a month ago. And and I was just asking questions about how he did it. And then I had another client who I spoke to about a month ago as well. And she has all of her clients wire transfer her funds, wire transfer their funds to her so that you don't get hit with like PayPal and and Stripe fees. I was like, wow, that's really cool. So I I talked to her and she told me exactly how to do that. So it's, it's kind of just talking to my clients and seeing what they do, because typically they're going to be more successful than I currently am. And then I just ask them sort of advice. Once we've had that Good long-standing relationship, and and we've done a good job for them, and, and I find that also helps. But again, having that coach, and I found my coach. I went, I wasn't sure like how do I go out there and find a coach. You you type in business coach on Google, and and there's a there's a million results. So I just didn't know how. And what I actually did is I went on to Upwork, and I put out a job position uh, for a business coach, and I think there was quite a bit of people that responded. And I took the best five that I thought I had an interview with all of them. And I just picked the one that I thought was going to be best for me. And I've been working with him since July. And he's been sort of instrumental in the growth of my business. And I found that more than anything, he holds me accountable. And I think that that's a big thing for anyone looking to grow their business. Because there's things I used to do in my business. I'd be like, oh, I'm going to do it this week. And then this week goes by and I don't get it done. Oh, I can get it done next week. But with my business coach, when he gives me things to do, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to not do it and show up for the meeting next week when we have our one-on-one. and Be like, oh, sorry, I didn't have time to do it. Well, I don't think you'd want me to be as kind anymore. So, I think having that accountability as well has really helped me.
1: Yeah, it is interesting um, when you do have someone that you, you're accountable to that all of a sudden all of those things yeah. that you didn't have time for, you miraculously mm-hmm. do have time for. Uh, What I was going to ask you is um, when it comes to, like, the podcasting, podcasting you, what are your plans? You know, you're talking about being in a growth stage at the moment. What's your, you know, the big vision for podcasting you? Where do you see the next 12 months going?
2: So one is... Think the biggest thing that we're focusing on in 2021 is doing more marketing for the company, mm-hmm. and that's something I haven't done too much of. So I really get our clients just through cold emailing people, and that's yeah, the, right. pretty much our number one source. And then also referrals as well. And we just recently like launched a referral program, so we want to put more emphasis on that. Emphasis on that. But I want to try out like LinkedIn ads and Facebook ads, and you know, sort of those traffics as well. So definitely looking into that. And then two, yeah. growing growing the company. I want to grow it at a more sort of steady pace. Mm-hmm. Where right now we're taking on one to two new clients a month where I'd want to be taking on four to six new clients a month. And that's sort of where I want to get. And I also want to make sure that while I do grow the company, I don't want to grow it too fast where I get to a point where I'm overwhelmed because that happened early on um, back in, I want to say July of 2019. So early on when, we were, when I had the company, the way the business was set up is that we were a pay-as-you-go service. So what this yeah. meant was that when our clients would come to us, when we booked an interview for them and they had it, they would pay us. And what I learned is that it's a good business model. And initially when I started it, all the like I think I took on like 15 clients in a week and it was just super busy. But what I learned is that when we did the pay-as-you-go model, people wouldn't necessarily stick around forever and they were a little bit more flaky. So Mm -hmm. back in March of 2019 or 2020 now, March of 2020, I changed our prices to a more of a high ticket service. And I realized it's harder to get clients, but the clients that do come in, they're easier to work with and I have to get less clients. So if a client comes in and they're paying us, you know, a five K, which is one of our offers that we have, you know, it's a lot easier than booking someone on 50 podcasts for a hundred dollars. You know, it's uh that's another thing is just focusing on getting a little bit more clients in the new year. Yeah.
1: So what have you found? I mean, 2020 has been a bit of a whirlwind for everyone. How have you found uh, managing and growing your team remotely? That's sort of you know a hot topic these days. Is you know how do you actually onboard a team, get to mm-hmm. meet them when you don't actually get to meet them, and work with them? So what have you what have you done to overcome that?
2: I think one again is having the training materials set up and you know holding them you know accountable. with their first th- month of training, but I also find that once a week I meet with my team. On Zoom, and I find that that's just perfect. Everyone gets to know each other. Everyone yeah. gets to see each other. And I think also my company has always been fully remote, so everyone is ar- is around the country. Yeah. I think that's always been a beneficial. So it's almost like it's just been that way from day one. and I don't really know anything different. I can't imagine having an office and having employees come, you know, because I get to find talent all over the country, which is, yeah, really, which is really the best thing. but I, I think it's just more than anything, it's just having team meetings every week and, and seeing each other face to face and and having that interaction. And I'm always encouraging interaction. I'm always telling my team members to like, reach out to another team member for help or reach out to this person and and get their idea to make sure that they're always collaborating amongst each other so that they can get to know each other a little bit more.
1: Yeah, fantastic. That is so good. And um, tell me a little bit around, you know, your struggles so far in your business or, you know, the journey to entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier, how you never really thought of it that way. And then now that you're, now that you're in the business, you're like, Oh, that's what I was doing that whole time. So tell me a little bit, what is, what was one of your stumbling blocks or, you know, something that you had to push through to get to the other side?
2: I think one applies to come be centered around money. And the the thing I, I talk about that is being in college and you see these other entrepreneurs that are out there and they start these successful businesses and they're making thousands of dollars and, and millions of dollars. And I, and I think to myself, well, I'm, I'm a 20-year-old college student. Why is someone going to want to pay me a lot of money for my yeah. service? And then even, even at a time when I changed my high-ticket offer to three to 5000 back in yeah. March, and I knew that that probably wasn't a service that I could afford myself. So it was getting over that mindset that, yes, I do have the value in this service, and this is something that clients are going to be willing to pay for. And I can't let my money mindset Dictate what the people that I'm talking to, and yes, there's there's people that I hop on client calls with, and I'll tell them the price, and they'll just be like, "That's too much." But for just as many people there are like that, there's people that hop on and say, "You know, you charge five thousand. That's that's fine with me. Let's let's get let's set up and and get ready to go." So there's you know there's that other side of the coin. So that was just a big thing for me was getting through that money mindset and realizing that there are people that are very successful and they'd be more than willing to pay me this amount of money to take this off their plate so that they don't have to go out and do this themselves. So that was really a big thing for me. And I think the more I talked on a phone and more I mentioned these prices, the more I became comfortable with it. And then as I started to take on more clients at these higher prices, it again, gave me that confidence that yes, there's always going to be more people that are willing to pay. And I can't let this one client that says I charge too much deter me from charging this higher price that I know I'm worth them.
1: Yeah, very good. That sounds like an amazing shift. So I think money mindset is something that's becoming a little bit more mainstream. Um, Mm -hmm. Here in Australia, we've got Denise Duffield-Thomas, who's a money mindset guru. She's written multiple books on it. I'm not sure what the US guru would be for money mindset, but it's certainly something that's becoming a little bit more mainstream. What did you do? Read books, listen to podcasts? How did you overcome or level up your money mindset? I think
2: it was just... For me, it was just I knew if I wanted to get my business in a position where I could be making a full-time income off it, it wasn't going to be billing people on a per-podcast basis. I was going to have to charge a high-ticket offer to make sure that I could be sustainable because I had run the business for primarily two years. I don't want to say a low-ticket offer, but a lower entry point. And yes, it was good, but I also feel like at the same time, I would pay my employees and then the podcast interview would be a month. And then a month later, then my client would pay me and I was always behind on my credit card bill. And I just realized i just didn't want to be like that and in order to get through that i was i was just going to have to charge this higher price point mm-hmm. and i was going to have to stick with it and i can tell you the first time i changed to this higher price point i think i had 15 sales calls in that month and i got no clients <laughs> and uh, all yeah, of them <laughs> and, and it didn't it didn't work so that was in march but then once april came around and i i kept just going at it and kept trusting in the process and I think I picked up three or four new clients in the month of April at that higher price point. And then that's when things started to take off and, and yeah. started to click. So I think for me, it was more just to realize that it was almost like a necessity that I didn't really have an option to charge a lower price point because my business was never going to take off. and I would always just be scraping by. And yeah. and I knew I just didn't want to do that forever. And I was almost yeah. like I had to force myself to become uncomfortable to get to that next level.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's the gold piece there is when we want to go to that next level, we have to go through that uncomfortable Mm -hmm. piece to be able to push through those barriers. So tell me a little bit around now, what uh, podcasting you offers clients? Like what do you, what do you do with them? So
2: so we work with real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and business coaches and consultants. And we really niched down to those three niches. I can tell you, we've worked with a ton of different niches, throughout the three years. And I have realized that not all niches are created equal. As an example, if we take a client on in the health and wellness space, we have to probably pitch about, you know, 20 times more podcasts to get a client booked on those shows. than when it comes to a real estate investor client, so we realize that our time is better well spent on the yeah. niches that we have connections with. And, and the cool thing is, is by focusing on those niches is that the podcast hosts that are out there in those niches, a few of them are our clients. what that means is when we take on a new client, we can book them on shows right away where if we took on someone in the health and wellness space we just don't have those connections it's gonna you know take a little bit longer setting up but i guess really what we do for people is is we just get them booked on podcasts we go out there and we'll create like a pitch for them we'll create a one sheet and then we also put together a database of shows we think that they would be a, a good fit for based on who their target audience is and then we mm-hmm. just reach out to them we do all of that legwork we as you've seen, we, we customize all the pitches that we send out to the podcast host. And sometimes it's hard to explain to someone that because they think it's simple, but it really takes our team about 10 to 15 minutes per podcast pitch that we send out to a podcast host because we do listen to the show. We do want to make it customized. We, as you mentioned, we leave uh, a review of the podcast. And then what we do for our clients is we'll send them a prep sheet prior to their interview that goes over the host bio the host or the show itself and then any questions the host sent over prior make sure that the clients you know well prepped for the interview and then we'll follow up with the host to find out when the interview is going to go live and, and then let the client know and then once it is live send that information so we like run a full full scale yes. service where we do yeah. yep everything outside of showing up and, and doing the yeah. interviews themselves
1: yeah, that sounds fantastic because it does take, I mean, I know you just said that your team takes that 10 to 15 minutes, mm-hmm. which doesn't sound like a lot of time. But when you're doing it to 100 yeah. different podcasts and you're researching and customizing, mm-hmm. it, can, it can really add up. So that sounds incredible. Someone <laughs> organizes everything and then you just rock up on the day and uh, do the podcast. Very, very mm-hmm. cool. Um, so we before we hit record, you mentioned that your podcast, your website is having a bit of a refresh, reset. Yep, correct. Where can people go to find out some more information about you and Podcasting You?
2: Yep, yeah, most certainly. So they can go to podcastingyou.com and then if they go to podcastingyou.com slash book. So we have a free offering where we teach people the 10 ways to wow any podcast audience and that should be live. We're switching over our email software from MailChimp over to ConvertKit. So we're just updating So I'm assuming once the once the interview, our interview today goes live, you should be able to go to podcastingyou.com slash book and, and be able to get that free book. And if they want to find out more about me, they can go to my Instagram, Trevor Oldham, and then also LinkedIn, Trevor Oldham. I also just launched a personal finance blog. It's more of a hobby, but I like talking about the money mindset and and overcoming that and building a side hustle. So if they wanted to check that out, that's buildingwealthmadesimple.com.
1: And uh, tell me while I'm writing this down, what would be your top five podcasts that you're listening to at the moment?
2: I think one is going to be Mike Dillard. Mike Dillard. So it used to be called Self-Made Man. So definitely Mike Dillard then you have, I enjoy listening to the Dave Ramsey show. And then also, it's more like a trio as I listen to the bigger pockets. So you have like the bigger pockets, real estate podcast, you have the bigger pockets, money podcast, and the bigger pockets business podcast. And And they're all by the same company, different hosts, but they bigger pockets real estate. So they talk about how to have success in real estate, the business show talk about like more entrepreneurship, and then their money show, they bring on like personal finance bloggers, people who paid off a ton of student debt or people who retired at an early age. So I find between those five, I get a good mix of, of entrepreneurship and then also money and money management, money mindset as well.
1: Fantastic. I'll put all of those details in it to the show notes as well. Thank you so much for your time today, Trevor. It's been awesome hearing about podcasting you and how you've you know managed to grow your business and build your business from a dorm room, and uh, you know build a team at such a young age. I think that that is just so admirable. And keep on leading them and being kind and uh, showing them the way. It's been fantastic.
0: Perfect. Thanks, Ali. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode on the Made For More podcast, please make sure you subscribe to receive future episodes. And, of course, five-star reviews are always welcome on the Apple podcast. If you'd like a copy of the show notes or any of the links mentioned today, check out madeformore.com au forward slash podcast and of course if we aren't connected already you can find me in all the usual places ali nitschke on linkedin ali made for more on facebook and instagram i hope you have an awesome week and i'll catch you again soon bye